A very good evening to everyone who just joined us from Kopi Vans. This is your host, Vansia. This is not a signature dance, but I just decided to do it on the last minute, you know. Life is all about dancing. All right, so that's not the topic today. And today our topic is, let me just pull up the banner. That's right. Why you will need lung surgery. And that's why. And today we are going to talk a lot of stuff that is pertaining to the respiratory system. And not only just the system itself and what can actually cause the other side, which is, of course, when we are looking at cancers and so and so forth. But like I said, every Wednesday we are back at 9 p.m. All right. I know the last two uh, copy with session was started at almost about 9.30, but now we change it to 9 p.m. as well. It's every Wednesday only at copy events. Okay, as usual, before we start on, so there's my cup and cheers. I hope my guest speaker also have his coffee in his hand. So later we check whether he's having the coffee or not. Right, cheers. Okay, so without any ado, I'm going to bring up my guest speaker. And um, also, um, it's a great uh, person. And um, I, I know he's very extremely busy. And he does a lot of um, amazing things. Um, we, I often say that many, many times that nurses and doctors are the angels that have been uh, sent down to planet Earth to take care of us as a humans, right? Um, this gentleman is another than Mr. Arish Mitran. He's a consultant, thoracic surgeon, Department of Cardiac, Thoracic and Vascular Surgery. And he is from National University of Hospital. So let's invite Dr. Arish. Hey, Hello, Dr. Arish. I am good, sir. How about you? Great. Yeah, thank you for having me uh, on your show. Thank you, sir. I know this wasn't as expected, but are you holding on to your coffee cup? Ah, I got water, but uh, I need to get All right. some <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for joining me in Kopi events, doctor. I know we talked about this about two months back, and I know you have a very hectic schedule. And um, how is it going on? I mean, how... How has it been for you over the past one, two months, doctor? Well, it's been, you know, uh, I would say great, but it's been busy. Um, you know, we've got our cycles. You know, some weeks are really, really strenuous and uh, just on the ball nonstop. And some weeks we have a little bit of a down uh, session or coming down level where you relax a little bit. But uh, overall, it's just an ongoing process. Uh, Monday to Friday, sometimes Saturday, Sunday, uh, you're in the operating theater, you're doing surgery. And um, well, it's just like that, I guess. All right, all right. So I'm sure you're keeping well, also, doctor. Yes, I am. I am, and uh, good. I want to say good evening to all your audience out there too. Um, you know, and I hope you guys enjoy this uh, talk uh, to, today. Thank you, doctor. But I know you have some PowerPoint slides to show with us, and we have certain topics to go along. But doctor, can I just ask you? You know, um, you know, we we heard about endocrinologists, we heard about cardiologists, orthopedic, but consultant thoracic surgeon. Um, yeah, I mean, they I mean, say I mean, thoracic, thoracic, Jurassic. Well, what, what, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And also, thoracic is often, you know, associated with the spine, the thoracic, the lumbar. Um, exactly. So, you're, you're absolutely so, so, right. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, doctor. I mean, how that name came by, so, and uh, so thoracic basically refers to the thorax, which is the chest. All right. So generally. Um, in, at least in Singapore and the Commonwealth countries, uh, to become a thoracic surgeon, you actually train as what we call a cardiothoracic surgeon. So you are a heart and lung surgeon. So you do everything in the chest, um, which is everything under the skin, the ribs, the lungs, uh, the windpipe, and also the heart. 
Uh, but eventually with time, as lung surgery and heart surgery became uh, more and more um, uh, focused, um, so the heart surgeons and the lung surgeons, we trained as one group, but eventually we start to subspecialize. And for me, I decided to just focus on what we call the thorax or the, the lungs. So I do everything in the chest, but the heart. And there's another group like my colleagues, they just focus on the heart and they are cardiac surgeons. So could we say that the thoracic surgeons are both in the respiratory system, of course, the lungs, the heart, and any more other involvement, doctor? I know oh, it's yeah, so more maybe, fine. I, I, I will put up a slide after this, so maybe, uh, and then everyone can see. Sure. So it'll be... Um, Thank you, doctor. We can, I always like to show things with photographs, so that's always better. Let's do that. Let's do that. So yes. uh, ready, doctor? I mean, for your presentation, please. Thank you. Okay, let's hope the share screen thing works. Right. And uh, here we go. Can you guys see it? Yeah, here we go. I pull it out over. That'd okay, be great, doctor. Great. All yours. So, so my topic today basically is why you would need lung surgery. So a lot of times people say, oh my God, surgery on the lungs. Why, why, what, you know, what, what's going on, right? So, um, so basically I'm a thoracic surgeon, like what Van said. So you can see, I put a diagram up here, a cartoon over here that shows you what the thorax actually encompasses of. So we're talking about ribs. So anybody who gets fractured ribs and uh, that needs surgery for a really bad broken rib, we fix that. We focus on the lungs, of course, the main area here, uh, which is we deal with a lot of cancers, a lot of infections within there. We deal with the, the windpipe or the trachea. And we deal with uh, uh, problems in the diaphragm, uh, the area that separates basically the abdomen or the uh, intestines uh, from our chest. And if you do a side view, say there's an anatomical dissection, and we unfortunately we you know we look at this from the side, you can see the frontier is the breastbone over here, the heart mm -hmm. is sitting in the center, and then you got the spine. So that's the thoracic spine you were telling we we're referring to. So. That's the, the part of the spine that's in the chest. It's called the thoracic spine. Okay. And so we deal with things that are like behind the breastbone over here. You can see mm -hmm. the something called a thymus gland. So unfortunately, things can grow over there too. Things can grow behind the heart and around the heart. And that's what thoracic surgery is. So that's what we do. But my topic today basically is to focus on lung surgery per se, not anything else, but just what one portion of what we do is lung surgery. And that's where we actually see a lot of patients coming in uh, that require it. And so what is a patient's journey through this to coming and doing lung surgery is that we, a lot of times, many people do an x-ray. And an x-ray is a very important, what we call a screening tool. And you mm -hmm. do this either on your normal medical checkup or you do it uh, when you do an employment checkup or say you have a cough, uh, the doctor, your, your general practitioner, your GP says, let's get an x-ray to make sure there's nothing else there. And they do an x-ray and, you know, God forbid, you know, they find like a, a small growth or a nodule. You can see here. Can you tell? I put, I put a, um, a box over here. Can you see that, man? Yes. It's something like yeah. a like a shaded, you know, with a very light color. Exactly. So this is a very clear-cut x-ray where you get a round ball kind of mm -hmm. a structure there. But just looking at an x-ray like this and you see a ball, really you can't tell what it actually is. You know, I always have mm -hmm. my standard... Uh, story I tell my patients, it's the x-ray and CT scans are like photographs. So you take a photograph, uh, you know, say you take a photograph of my phone and then you say, okay, this is an iPhone. And then or someone will say, no, that's a Samsung. And you say, why? And then you say, okay, the size and the shape and stuff. So therefore it looks like a Samsung 
or looks like an apple, but you really, really only know the answer when you go inside, open up, and you see the chip inside, right? So to, right. to go and further look at it, we have to do something called a CT scan. So that's why when you say, oh, I do an X-ray, why couldn't they tell anything? Because sometimes X-rays can't pick up small, small nodules. So we do a mm. CT scan for the patient. And this is a scan, what we call a cross-section. So the patient's lying down. The front here is your breastbone up here. These are different cuts. And then okay. the heart is in the center over here. We have our lungs on the side here. And I don't know if you can pick up, but you can see here there's like a white tissue, like a ground mm -hmm. glass stain kind of an appearance in the lung. And this, yeah. these kind of scans are things that we get worried about. And if you look on the other CT scan right over here, you can see the bigger balls over here, yeah. like round what we call nodules yeah. uh, in the lung. And these are things that are concerning. So when these patients, uh, they do an x-ray and then the GP or even they see a specialist and they say, look, we, we need to do a CT scan. We actually want to see a better image of that lesion or that nodule. So that's mm -hmm. why CT scans are very, very important um, uh, to us uh, surgeons. So when, when we do that CT scan and we find out, okay, this lung lesion looks very suspicious, then we want to do something about it. Either we want to take a biopsy or we want to go and remove the lung lesion. So what are the other okay. common lung surgeries? So like I mentioned to you, so the first thing, a lot of our um, patients are actually patients who have cancer and we need to remove that. Uh, but there are other lungs, uh, lungs uh, other indications of diseases in the lung that we actually perform surgery for. And there are some of these lesions, are, they look like cancer, but they end up not being cancer. But because they reach a certain size, they still need to be removed. Um, and then there's something called pneumothorax. And pneumothorax is uh, basically, it happens in people who smoke, uh, smokers, or even mm -hmm. young boys and girls who are, the classical description is thin, uh, thin, tall, young males, uh, because okay. um, uh, what happens is the lining of the lung um, forms a small bubble and the bubble bursts. So when the bubble bursts, the sealant of the lung gets, uh, it opens up. And whenever you breathe air, air leaks out of the lung. And that causes okay. the lung to collapse. So our, our job is to go in there to find that leaking part, like the tire that's mm -hmm. leaking, and plug the hole. Mm -hmm. And then the other big thing we actually deal with is infection in the lung. and But not in the lung per se, because that's pneumonia, mm -hmm. and that you treat with antibiotics. What we do is if the infection spreads outside the lung into the space around the lung, and that space then becomes filled with pus or infection fluid, and then we have to go in there and clean it up and do a washout, basically. Mm -hmm. Doctor, so can we, I just uh, yeah. hold you here for a while? Sorry. You know, when you describe all these little, little fine things, right? You know, you go there and clear up this, you know, do this. It sounds like, you know, you're some kind of a, a like a robotic, uh, like a, you know, a specialist <laughs> or some kind of like a, a technician or a specialist who's going in and working on some kind of engine. It's quite similar, isn't it? You know, engines, we can just change it. Human bodies also nowadays can seem to, but you seems to be like, understands yeah. and these years and years of experiences and research is it something that it's it's natural you know you look at it and you know this is an issue well let me take you to a little bit back of the hi history um, okay uh, we when we become surgeons we graduate from the royal college of surgeons of either edinburgh in uk or england or one of those yeah. and actually doctors you, you graduate, you get your MBBS, your, and you become a doctor. Then yeah. once you become a surgeon, you get the FRCS title, you actually become Mr. again. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, that's the title change. And the reason is because of this is hundreds of years ago, 
surgeon, a doctor said do no harm, which means don't operate, you know, don't cause any harm, don't cause any bleeding. And mm -hmm. so the College of Barbers used mm -hmm. to perform all these lumps and bum operations. So they were barbers before. And eventually, with okay. time, they integrated with the college and became surgeons. Wow. So if you if you come from the Commonwealth, uh, like the UK and stuff, all the surgeons are called Mr. It's not adopted very much in Singapore, but like uh, in Malaysia, in the UK, most countries, they call them Mr. So, yeah. You're right. We, uh, we are, I, I think we are highly skilled uh, medical doctors who who perform in uh, surgery to remove disease part of the lung. So last time you say do no harm. Now we're doing no harm, but we are, we are trying to help uh, to remove that part of, uh, you know, whichever part that's not right in your, in your body. Amazing, doctor. Amazing. I mean, like uh, I said before the show started that um, often, right, nurses and doctors are like the angels. You know, you all should be having that, you know, the wing. And stuff. It's just that it's hidden behind your <laughs> white coat itself. Um, because it's it's amazing, you know, how things has evolved. And I'm sure after your presentation, we're still going to talk on all these little areas. But uh, sorry for the disturbances. So please go ahead, doctor, with your PowerPoint. And no, then no, no, no. It's great, friends. I love this uh, conversation. It's, it's uh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, so coming back to, I'm just going to focus on lung surgery. So when, when, a, when a patient comes and says you need lung surgery, so, you know, we have a pair of lungs. We have our right lung and we have the left lung. And the yeah. right lung basically is divided into three parts called the upper lobe, the middle lobe, and the lower lobe. And the left side has only two parts called the upper, upper lobe and the lower lobe. The reason people say is because the heart goes more on the left mm -hmm. side, so therefore the evolution has made into just two lobes instead. Um, mm -hmm. so, so what happens is that we, when we do lung surgery, say there's a growth in the lung, we can just mm -hmm. do something called a wedge resection where we just remove a really small portion of the lung and take it out. Okay. We can do what we call a segmentectomy where we dissect the, each specific blood vessels to a certain segment of the lung and remove okay. that. Or we can remove like the whole lobe, like in cancers, any cancer that is larger than 1.5 or 2 centimeters, then we generally have to take out. Remember I told you about the three parts on the right and two on the left. We have to take out the whole yeah. section of it, the lobe out, because cancer mm -hmm. can spread within the lobe. And pneumonectomy okay. is not done very often nowadays. It used to be a surgery of, of uh, it's still done today, but not as often. Uh, it used to be done for really large cancers, uh, really big tumors that and they didn't have chemotherapy then, and uh, we needed to resect it. Or the tumor is so big that we still can we still can control the disease. So then we decided to remove the whole lung, but it's not done very much nowadays. We do a lot mm -hmm. of lung preserving operations, what we try to do nowadays. Okay. And how, and how do we get to the lung? So basically, again, back in the days, we used to make a big cut. And you can see here, literally from the back all the way to the front to access the chest and, and get in there. But with time, with evolution, I think everyone's talking about keyhole surgery or laparoscopic surgery. When you say laparoscopic, you refer to surgery in the abdomen. So we do what we call mm -hmm. thoracoscopic surgery, where it's keyhole surgery within the chest. And, and nowadays, at least in NUH, what we do is we perform what we call single port surgery, just uniportal surgery. We make a small cut, about three to four centimeters. We go between the ribs. Uh, we put something called a retractor in there to keep the space nice and wide open. Uh, we stand here. Um, we have a team of doctors and our nurses. And uh, we, we use the camera and we look at the TV. It's like, like playing a video game, I always tell people. Uh, you know, you, you look at the TV, but your hands are moving uh, uh, below there. 
and uh, you dissect and you remove. Uh, so these are how our instruments go through, and you remove that certain part of the lung, that the disease part of the lung that requires to come out. And eventually, okay. the patient, instead of having a scar literally from the back to the front, now you only have a, a small four centimeter cut over there. And the many approaches to the chest, you know, people now talk about what we call subsifoid approach, where instead of going from the side, you go from the front and you make a small cut in front, right under your breastbone over here. And now mm -hmm. these, uh, in NUH, these, uh, we started doing robotic surgery uh, and we use the robot basically to, I mean, the robot doesn't perform the surgery. We use the robotic hands and the surgeon mm -hmm. here, we sit at the, con uh, the console and then we perform surgery uh, on the patient using the robotic hands and uh, that okay. assists us for, for a little bit more finer dissection sometimes. So, doctor, um, yeah. sorry. So, if my son now start to play all these video games and these virtual games, I shouldn't yeah. stop him. <laughs> I don't uh, know because you know, it, I, I, I see the hand-eye coordination is amazing. Yeah. With, with even the younger surgeons now, when you see them operate, uh, I okay. mean, the hand-eye coordination is brilliant. It's uh, wow. Really so good. their their cognitive skills are so well trained because of what they have been doing in the past decade. So that actually helped in their profession. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and that's what it is, you see. Yeah. Okay. We have to move with technology, right? I mean, if uh, uh, video games and stuff, you know, they improve the hand-eye coordination. Even in surgery, we're trying to mimic what the rest of the world does, you see. So we're trying mm -hmm. to do that. And we find out that, you know, the outcomes are better, you know, patient recovery is much better. Last mm -hmm. time they used to do lung surgery and patient will stay in the hospital for maybe two, three weeks. Nowadays, they go home after two, three days, you know, if everything goes mm -hmm. well. So, you know, times are changing. Yeah. Okay. So what I wanted to show you is this, you know, the big cuts from before has come into okay. a small cut on the side, you see. So, okay. so that's what we do. So basically, well, that's my slideshow. Uh, and I just wanted to, hold on, let me just let's say, yeah. Right. Thank you, doctor. And, and uh, I thought I wanted to open the floor to everybody else and yourself, and uh, let's kick let's kick off this uh, talk. Thank you so much for that uh, very quick and uh, nice presentation that you did. But um, but of course, Doctor, we, before we even engage the gears, and I got a couple of questions as well. Um, I think about two years back, um, I lost my dad. Uh, we lost our dad because um, he was a smoker, and uh, he stopped smoking for almost about a decade or so. But it all started up with a single cough. And then it was very irritating. It's not as it's huge or disturbance, but he decided to go, you know, like how we have a fever or body temperature, you know, we want to go and see a doctor, a GP. And, and somehow or other, they, they say that, you know what, it's not good. You go to a specialist. And then they did a, a full test and a CT scan as well. And then uh, they did a, even more further tests to identify whether that particular is it um, cancer. And eventually it is. And all we know that it was straight away a stage three and he has just two months to live on. So it can be very dangerous, um, especially it's like, it seems like a silent killer. Can we call it as a silent killer? You know, Vance, firstly, you know, my condolences to you and your family. Um, um, but you're absolutely right. Cancer is the silent killer because when you start getting symptoms, it can be, it actually can be late already. So this is why I tell many patients that, uh, you know, uh, we should get ourselves checked on a regular basis. And, um, and, and, and you see this a lot, uh, people who do screening, do an x-ray and they, and they, 
they completely well. They always come to me and say, doctor, I have nothing. I'm well, you know, I've not no issue. How come this is here? And you use the exact, that's the, that's the perfect sentence to say, cancer is a silent killer. Mm-hmm. When you start yeah. getting symptoms, then, then, you know, it's, it's unfortunately not, not for everybody, but uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. it's, it's the late stage, you know? And uh, the whole process itself, I mean, um, even though I'm not in the health industry exactly in the fitness, but I do a lot of projects right now and associate with them. But I did see a deterioration happens, you know, um, body weight start to lose on. He started to lose body weight. Uh, his appetite started to drop. Uh, he tend to become very moody. And as time goes by, his oxygen levels tend to drop it. Because as as Econologists that say that he just has two months, and it's very accurate, because as the body deteriorates and and the cancer becomes multiplying, and we eventually saw him just without oxygen, and uh, it passed on. So, it's very scary, doctor. But if if someone like an, a healthy individual, um, is, is there something like you know I do a yearly checkup, you know blood check, uh, you know I want to check my HB one AC, you know. Uh, hemoglobin, you know, all kinds of stuff. But is there something like, you know, I want to go and check my markers for my cancers. I want to check, make sure that, is it a yearly or, you know, they, they don't seem to be a year's like, you know, you go to check for a doctor, uh, for, for cancer. Yeah. Is there a, uh, yeah. So I, 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 let me speak specifically for lung cancer, I guess. Um, so unfortunately, there's no blood tests uh, that can pick it up. Uh, I think for colon cancer, for ovarian cancer, there's certain tumor markers they're not they may be sensitive but then they're not specific they're, they're not specific so you can actually have a cancer but the markers may not be raised uh you see but then there's some people who do screening and uh, they have this uh, cancer marker called cea which is mainly for colorectal cancer and it's mildly elevated then they go and do the scopes and the scopes are all clear and they do a ct scan and they find out oh there's a lung lesion over there all right so the, the cancer markers are very non-specific. So I always uh, tell my patients basically that, you know, if you fall into a high-risk uh, group, um, screening is very important. And who are these high-risk groups? Basically, it's people who are smokers, um, uh, current smokers, uh, people who are um, uh, basically have a family history of, of uh, cancer, um, people who work in a high-risk industry where there's a lot of uh, smoke or, or fumigation going around, um, people who, you know, the unfortunate thing is that we there's no direct association, but uh, you know, be, with temples and uh, all the um, joysticks that they use, and especially mm-hmm. if you're exposed to that smoke a lot, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's very very dangerous because that equals to almost smoking your own cigarettes uh, every day, even if you don't smoke. So, um, you know, I, I really am a, a big, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, I encourage people basically to do regular screening. So after you're 40 years old, an x-ray is great. You're going to do an x-ray every year. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think part of your medical checkup, most companies will get you to do one actually every two to five years at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you do have this, so there's no direct evidence that, that screening actually prevents cancer. But screening does pick up cancer, and uh, and though the pickup rate is small, two to three percent, you still can save that two to three percent of people. So you know if you're if you're a smoker, you're above the age of 42, 43 years old. Uh, I think go and do a notice. We got these low dose CT screenings uh, where they use very low radiation levels. Uh, you can do a scan if that's clear, all and good. 
Uh, if they find a small lesion that's uh, very, very small, you don't need to do any surgery straight away. You can observe it. We can repeat a scan. And anything that's growing, then you might as well intervene early and, and get it out. So I think screening is very, very important. I wanted to bring up uh, something that a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't smoke, uh, you know, I'll be fine. Um, and so, you know, the Singapore statistics basically said, uh, firstly shows that um, lung cancer is the second biggest killer in in men in okay. Singapore and is the third biggest killer um, in females, right? And and these numbers are alarming. You're looking at about maybe seven to 8,000 new patients being diagnosed in Singapore. And you know, the smoking rate in Singapore is very low. We only have about 10 to 12 people, percent of people who smoke in Singapore. That's right. And so you're wondering, how is this possible? You know, you know, why are females getting it too? And we've identified a group of patients basically, which is a female, Asian, in their ranges of 40 to 65, even 70, who are what we call never smokers. Never smokers are never not smoke. like, basically they've never touched a single cigarette their whole life. They, they're not like they quit smoking or they are current smokers, they're never smokers and they get lung cancer. And you're wondering why is this happening? So with all the research that's been going on, we've, uh, we've detected a gene called EGFR mutation. And it's a mutation of the gene within the body that actually stimulates this cancer um, and, and makes it happen. So it's very important to get screened, get checked. And if the cancer is early, early detected, you know, even if it's stage one, once you resect it, you don't need to go for any chemotherapy. Uh, if it's a higher stage, stage so stage one, there's many stages, one, A, two, three, and there's a stage one B where then we can recommend you to see the oncologist to take a, like an oral, oral chemotherapy. But after surgery for stage two, stage three, then you definitely need to have uh, added chemotherapy because it shows that it improves survival a lot. But uh, I want, really wanted to highlight the importance of screening uh, for patients. Um, and uh, there was a study done just, just published this year by Taiwan. Uh, it's called the Talent Study. I think people, you can just Google Talent Lung Cancer Study. And they looked at never smokers. So they screened about 12,000 people who never smoked. Um, mm -hmm. who, know who, and then they, part of the secondary look at, they looked at people who had a family history of cancer and things like that. And they okay. found that out of 12,000 people, 2% of this group mm -hmm. had cancer, right? So, and you, and people say, yeah, 2%, that's eh, a small number, but what if that 2% is you, that 2% becomes a hundred percent for you, right? Yeah. So it's important to get checked. Uh, I think that's very important. Thank you for doctor for highlighting that that um, you know um, screening is very important that you have highlighted and uh, hope uh, viewers are watching that as well and understand that uh, very important um, you know most of the time it's like that you know it will never happen to me you know it is never me and then what happens if reality really kicks in you hard in the butt and then yeah start to worry uh, but you know doctor I, I got the next question myself but I think Chris have that question itself uh, for you. Like b before I pull on that thing, yeah, um, to address a question. But I think, you know, there, there must be something happening, right? Um, we, we call it physically or, or mentally or, or psychologically, whatever it can be. But our cells are turning against us for some reason. Like what you said, the mutation is happening. Um, is it could be the stress that we're all facing? Because stress could be also an factor. But... We, like we said, is there a, like a, a study saying that stress is one of a well, possibility? You know, you know for, for heart disease, yeah, that's without a doubt uh, yeah. a proven fact. 
for cancer, yeah. unfortunately, I, 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 at least on top of my head, I, I can't pull out any data that I know of. Yeah. But let me just tell you a correlation between smoking and, and the type of cancer. So okay. back in the days, people used to smoke unfiltered cigarettes. Okay. And uh, they used to get this type of lung cancer called squamous cell carcinoma. All right, squamous cell. And then when as people stop smoking, or I don't know whether filtered cigarettes or things that come in, the, the amount of squamous cell carcinoma has dropped tremendously in the world in the mm -hmm. past 50 years. But the lung cancer is picking up and you get this new cancer called, I mean, it's not a new cancer, it's, but it's just a different subtype of lung cancer called adenocarcinoma. All right. Okay. And is that associated with our diet? Uh, you know, is it associated with the food we eat? Uh, I know, I've, you know, you watch a lot of these uh, documentaries about the plastic in the ocean yeah. and the fish are eating the plastic and we're eating the fish and that, you know, someone said actually in general, we're eating about one piece of a credit card every week, you know, of plastic, right? <laughs> okay. uh, so could, could that be related? I don't know. This is me yeah. just... Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure all the viewers will not mind if we can yeah. do some transaction <laughs> FOC. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, this part I don't know. Um, but yes, why why are we seeing more uh, cancers? Okay. Maybe because we're screening more also. Uh, we're picking up more. So. And patients all right, Doc. Aware. So we, we have a couple of questions all coming out, lining up. So I'm going to definitely going to take this, Chris, uh, from sure. the viewer, Chris. Yeah. Will there be a cure for a cancer? Yeah, I... I it's... I... Uh, maybe in about... A hundred years from now, you know, who knows, all right? But what I can tell you is that cancer, I feel now, when I was in medical school back in the 1998, 99, if you had stage four cancer, uh, you're going to pass away in a few months, right? Okay. But nowadays with the evolution of technology and uh, the different chemotherapies or special, what we call immunotherapies, where we use our own body cells to fight the cancer, yeah. things that stimulate that. I've seen patients that who would have probably passed away in six months mm -hmm. uh, if it was 20 years ago. Today, are living for four or five years. So that's mm -hmm. almost a, what, what's the number? If you, you know, almost a four or 500% increment in life expectancy with this mm -hmm. new medications and stuff. So I believe that uh, maybe cancer cannot be cured, but it may mm -hmm. become a chronic disease. A okay. chronic disease means that means we can control it with medication. So like mm -hmm. diabetes, like, you know, you control it with medication. Uh, AIDS, AIDS used to be, if you get AIDS, you know, it's, it's finished. Now uh, people live for years with AIDS, right? And, yeah. and, and people get control with it. So it, it probably can become a chronic disease, I think. All right. Thank you, uh, doctor. And thank you, Chris, for the question. So, so we have... Uh, uh, how does the one test for the okay? So we have this question, so it's a little bit uh, this for doctor for sure. Asked by Suba G, uh, how does one test for the gene is the test readily available? So, there are a lot of genetic, uh, I think if you go to many companies right now, they have a lot of genetic testing you can do, um, and they can actually really, really go through your whole DNA sequence, uh, via blood test, live test. I think there's a certain, I, I'm not, uh, 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 I can't speak for what, what they need for that. Mm -hmm. But specifically, if you do have a cancer and we've taken out that cancer, we can then, uh, from that cancer specimen itself, we will then send it for the specific genetic test required, whether there's a ALK mutation, EGFR mutation, we look for those things. We're in the cancer. Now, if you don't have a cancer, 
and you want to screen yourself and see what are your risks for it, uh, then yes, I know there are companies that do this, but um, I cannot speak for them. Uh, I have no experience sending my patients for genetic screening, but I know they are out there. Uh, the issue is that the question always arises that, okay, we screen, we know you are at higher risk of getting it, uh, uh, but, you know, what are you going to do from there? Um, I think the, 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 um, the famous person is uh, Angelina Jolie, right? She, she knew she yep. had the breast cancer gene and she decided to do a bilateral mastectomy. But if, say, you find out you got an EGFR mutation in your lungs, you can't remove both your lungs, right? Right. So, so yep. we have to strike a balance of what we do, what we don't do. I think having a genetic test, uh, again, I'm, I, I have no experience doing this, so maybe I'm not the best person to comment about this, but maybe it can help guide how you want to get yourself checked up uh, furthermore. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Subha, for the question. Uh, we have Sinaram, Sarah, Shamila. What is the progenesis for stage 2 lung cancer? So the prognosis. So um, now prognosis, I guess, you know, people have looked at all the data. So you're looking at about, uh, in all honesty, stage two, there's two types of stage 2A and 2B. Uh, in average, the, the survival of a patient with stage two um, is about 50% at five years. All right. Uh, but this improves uh, with certain chemo or now with newer medication, like I was telling you about uh, where they, after the chemo, they take tablet form. And so uh, these are the numbers that we have from the, our international numbers around the world. It's about mm -hmm. 50%. But also understand clearly that these numbers shift, right? The data that we have that says it's 50% or 55% or 56% are numbers taken like from the year 1996 till the year 2010, 2012. And so how patients were managed even 20 years ago is very different from today. So I'm pretty sure as we evolve, we will see a change of data set. But in all, all I can speak for is from the data we have is about 50 to 60% uh, survival at five years. Thank you, doctor. And thank you, uh, Sarah, for that question. So, uh, doctor, we also have uh, one more that's pertaining to a uh, um, doctor as well. So, so, can one really get cured of a lung cancer if not in a critical stage? Absolutely. So, Deepa. this is the, a very good question, uh, Madam Deepam. Um, so, if you have a stage 1 uh, lung cancer, so you've got stage 1A1, 1A2, 1A3, the survival are in the 90%. So I can't, unfortunately in medicine, we can't give you a hundred percent cure, but what we see again from our data is that it's got really great survival. So you just do surgery, you resect it out, and then we, we follow you up for five years uh, continuously. And usually after you get the five-year mark journey, you're cancer-free. Uh, in NUH, we follow the patients up to 10 years uh, with regular CT scanning once a year. Uh, and but uh, yes, I, I think you know, if you hit a number of 95%, 90% and above, you're considered cured uh, of cancer, or at least you, you know, if you roll a dice one in 10, chances of it coming back, uh, nine out of 10 people are cured of it. Yeah, I, I would, I, I, the word cure is a very strong word, but I think the survival benefit is extremely, extremely high. Thank you, Deepam, for that question. And uh, thank you, doctor, again, once again. Uh, um, sorry, one more thing. There's yeah. one more thing I wanted to say. There's an area called uh, before cancer. It's called minimally invasive adenocarcinoma or adenocarcinoma in C2. These are very, very, like, really early stages before it really mutates to a proper cancer. Now, these things, if you remove it, it 
can be almost curative. So, so yes, uh, so before it evolves to a full, full-blown adenoid, that means it's not even stage one yet. It's labeled as TMIA, it's called, so, yeah. Thank you, Deepam. So, Deepam has sent a um, special thanks. Thank you, thank you, and Sarah as well. Thank you, Sarah, um, for telling that it's a detailed explanation. So, we have um, a, a few more questions, Doc. Uh, so, this is by Justin, uh, just to double confirm, yeah, Justin. Um, so I think that question is basically directed to you. Uh, so, hi, doctor. How you be able to see situations emotionally cancer day in, day out? So I think he's um, probably is asking your mental state or maybe perhaps the 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 emotional part. Uh, well, I mean, you can't be emotional here, right? Uh, but well, how well, you know, J Justin? That's that's a great question. I think, and this is probably relevant to every doctor or uh, from an oncologist. The point is that we we don't get emotionally involved with our patients, but we actually still do. A lot of these patients, I've been attending to them for five, six, seven years. I've seen them. You know, we've we've both. I've, I've lost. They've seen me with hair. And they've seen me without hair. <laughs> so um, you know, uh, it's uh, it's we when when we're there to do our job. I, I it's very it's going to be a very professional relationship between both of us. Uh, my job is to to treat you to make sure you're emotionally strong. And what's important is it's it's a two it's a it's a two way process. You have to have trust in me um, as your surgeon, and for me to do my job, I need you to trust me, and then we work together. And when that that bond happens, then we do have an emotional bond with each other, uh, and it's a professional emotional bond. But with time, you know, I've become friends with some of my patients in the sense that, um, I, I mean, I'm not calling them out. We're not going out for for dinners and stuff. But what we're doing is we, when we meet in the clinic, even when they give me a call, they talk to me, they want to tell me something. Uh, I'm there for them. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it's sad to see that some patients that you try to save and after a few years they, they don't make it or they pass on, that's emotional. And uh, it's sad. Um, yeah, it does happen. So we're all human, right, at the end of the day. Uh, but I think, doctor, I think, um, um, like I, I want to mention this the third time, um, nurses especially and doctors, I think um, it is not a job, I think. It, it must be... Coming from that, that 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 hardship. Yeah. I I actually don't. I tell people I don't go to work actually every day. Okay. I, I don't go to work. I I like. I don't know if you call it a job, but I don't go to work. I go to something I like to do. Um, half my job is actually talking to people. So, so uh, yeah. So whoever the creator is has done a fantastic job because he can't be everywhere. So he yeah. he, he created you guys and nurses, especially nurses as well. Because their job also is very challenging at time Nurses to time. are amazing. I think they they are really the frontliners in what we do. At the end of the day, the doctors see the patient. You know, we we may put on and people say put on the cape, but actually the people really wearing the cape are the nurses. They are the ones managing the patient right after from before surgery. They're seeing them. They're asking how are you. They're telling me don't worry. They're telling the patient don't worry. We'll take you in. They get into the operating theater. There's other nurses there managing them. When they wake up, you know, the nurses are there to look at them. Don't worry, you're fine. Your vitals are okay. So the nurses and then up to the ward, you know, helping them, you know, eat, helping them walk. You know, the physiotherapists do that too. The, um, you know, having to go to the washroom, you know, 
they are angels. I, I think they they deserve a lot more credit than what than anybody so else. So for that, Doctor, we are going to give you a round of applause now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much for that. Um, we have a couple of questions and also we have uh, a couple of uh, people uh, sending their regards to you. Yes, that's Dr. Harish, the popular guy right now. Um, we also have Sakti, a very good buddy of mine as well. Uh, he also has said that thank you for sharing Dr. Harish, awesome sessions. And um, we have a question from Christina Vijayan. Uh, if a person who usually has a higher white blood cells, is it highly possible to have a cancer in the future? Uh, no. So uh, are you referring to leukemia? Is she referring to leukemia? And it depends on what the level of uh, uh, white. So white blood cells are what we call our soldiers in our body, right? So when white blood cells uh, increase, they are fighting something generally. So most of the time it's infection. So they're fighting some sort of infection. That's why the white cell goes up. And that's why when we're treating any patients, we trend the white cell. But white cells can go up or can completely deplete in different types of cancers too, or blood-borne cancers or leukemias and, and, and things like that. So that can that can be an issue. Is it possible to have other cancers associated with high blood uh, cells? Um, in, in general, probably no, unless there's something else. So generally, you tend to worry a lot when the high blood cells are very high. You tend to worry more of a, of a blood-borne kind of a cancer. All right, so hope that has uh, answered you, um, Christina. Thank you, Christina, for that question. I'm also going to bring in one more question, doctor. So just let me, just give me a second. Um, I'm going to get that thing up here. So, da, da, da. and there we go. Okay, so just give me that final. Um, we have Victoria. All right, so Victoria has asked, is there any symptoms um, does cancer have symptoms? Um, again, like I said, most of the time, it's, it's a stupid silent killer, isn't it? But having said that, you still can have symptoms with early stage cancer. So basically, in life, uh, there's no yes and no answer. Uh, that's the unfortunate thing. So you do have symptoms. Some people can have, If let's focus on lung because that's what we're talking about here. So if, um, if it's a lung cancer, some people can get a cough, like, unfortunately, like your dad had. And unfortunately, it's late stage. But we also see many patients who have a cough and it's early stage because it irritates certain airways. They can have cough with blood sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, they can have difficulty in breathing. They may have a bit of chest pain. So it can be many, many things. But a lot of times, the early stage cancers don't show itself at all. Uh, and if it does, that's great because it's your body telling you that something's going on. So you should get yourself checked. A lot of times we ignore this thing. You know, we say, ah, nothing, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, we always think we're young. That's an unfortunate thing, right? <laughs> but yeah, things catch up to us now. We're not so invincible anymore. You know? Well, say, doctor, I mean, you can be young at the heart, but uh, as the body's aging, we yeah. need to make sure that we send for servicing and get the Absolutely. right specialist to attend to it. Yeah, the, the, the human body is just like a car, doctor. Yeah. Um, Doc, we have another one more question that's directly from LinkedIn because right now Kopi Events is also live in YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and few more wow. other platforms are just uh, on approval right now. Um, so I'm going to pull this up. Um, so this is uh, David Neto. Uh, Dr. Arish, I was a junior from Malacca, Manipal. 
what are the subtle signs of lung cancer that we can detect early to diagnose lung cancer? Because as you know, lung cancer is usually detected late at uh, three or four. Hi, David. Dr. David, how are you? <laughs> Dr. Hi, Dr. Uh, yeah, Manipal Malacca was my uh, medical school I went to in Malaysia before I uh, okay. moved to Singapore. Uh, so what are the subtle signs of lung cancer? Uh, so uh, the signs basically, again, like I mentioned to you, so symptoms is what patients actually experience and signs are what, so to have, so if everyone to understand, signs, symptoms is what the patient experience, signs are what doctors can pick up, all right? So if you put an, a stethoscope to the lung and you take deep breaths, you'll hear breath sounds. And if you hear sh uh, the, the breath sounds become reduced, then you worry that it can be blocked. Either you have a pneumonia, you have water in the lungs, things like that. The unfortunate thing, like with early stage lung cancer, it's a small ball there. And this small ball doesn't affect anything. Everything goes on like normal. So unless you're so specific that you put it right over the ball, uh, I don't think you're going to have any signs that you're going to pick up. So that's why with lung cancer, we always have this issue, it's screening, screening, screening. It's it's x-rays and CT scans. And that's the only, every time you suspect something, do a CT scan. If it's in a high-risk group, I think you should get a, uh, if it's a, a high-risk group smoker and stuff, you must get a CT scan for the patient. So suspicion for a doctor, your suspicion index must be very high when it's this group of people. Thank you, Dr. David and Dr. Harish for that answering that uh, particular questions directly from Dr. David. So that's all for the questions today. So, Dr., you know, it was an amazing 47 minutes. Um, so we have covered all the PowerPoint. We have answered a couple of questions from the viewers. So now it's time for Copy with Vance. So, Hi. Dr., um, what is your advice um, for future doctors or students, medical students who are watching this? Um, and like I said, you know, if you ask me to be a doctor, I think I probably can't because when I look at all these particular machines, uh, I will be go blank because it, it, it's a different <laughs> emotional, right? Uh, but like I said, you need to have iron in you to do this. So what will your advice be for the young doctors or even for students uh, who want to be a future doctor, what is your advice will be? Um, okay, the medical career, you know, a lot of uh, people say that, oh, the medical career, you know, doctors are very tough. It's a very difficult field to get into and stuff. But I think the medical career is one of the best professions to be in. Um, at the end of the day, whatever you're doing, you are trying your best to help somebody. Um, a lot of times you may find you get frustrated and, and frustration is, is in any field you get into, whether it's a banking field, whether you're a lawyer, I'm sure as, as a video host, as a, as a PT, you know, there's always frustrations. There's, you, you can never be right and you can never please everybody in the world. Yeah, you can be the best doctor, nice person in the world, someone will still not like you. What's my advice to these doctors is that to, if you want to get into the field of medicine, do not have expectations. If you have the expectation that you are going to be respected by everybody around you, you're going to walk uh, like uh, on pedestal. Um, if you feel that uh, you're going to make a lot of money uh, doing it, um, then, then don't gain to it. If you have no expectations and you have a clear heart and you want to do it, you want to help people or you want to uh, improve technology or improve medical technology, then this 
is a great field to get into and uh, do it because I, I encourage people I, I think medicine uh, a medical field in general nursing anything you do is, is a wonderful field to get into just have your head straight thank you doctor thank you for that um thank you doctor before we even come to this live uh, live chat uh, in streaming at copy events you know we were having a, a little talk uh, regarding about your schedule right um you know you you work on a very uh, very very hectic schedule uh, especially with um, associating with this cancer and you know you're trying to work on this but how do you i mean you know each surgery how does how long does it take because you, you need to be great question um it's not that long um you know if you're doing heart operations uh, uh, bypass surgery that can be long can be four six seven eight nine hours uh, most of the time when we do lung cancer surgery is about two to three hours each time uh, it can extend to four to five hours i've, I've done surgeries for 12 13 hours um, so usually we line up about two to three patients uh, per session when we operate the whole day. So we're there actually from eight to five or eight to six. So you are performing surgery, you're doing it for two to three hours, but really you don't feel the time go. The time just flows. It's like, you know, you, you go into a cinema, you watch Avengers movie, it's two and a half hours. And when you finish, you're like, wow, it's two and a half hours. It, it's the same yeah. thing because you're so focused. You're performing the surgery, your, your hands are moving. Your eyes are focused, your brain's working, uh, time just flies, so you don't feel it. Thank you so much, Doctor. I mean, uh, it's definitely a valuable session today at Copy Unit. I know this topic can go into a lot of more, right? I mean, we are just talking about the respiratory system, the lung, but of course, there is a lot of other cancers that we can talk about the whole day, but unfortunately, we don't have. Um, with having that, saying that, um, and Doctor, your, your, your advice to all the viewers, you have given your advices to the young doctors who want to be and for the viewers who are watching this what will be the health uh, advice or tip that you will give it to them well I, i'm i'm not gonna get into uh telling people to change whatever habit they have because that's i think in their own mind but for me i think you, you know it yourself if you fall into a high risk category or even if you don't fall into a high risk category I feel that you should do some sort of screening on a regular basis after the age of 40 years old, whether it's an x-ray, blood test, or, or a CT scan. You don't need to do it every year, but you can spread it out over once in four to five years, and I think uh, that's very important. Thank you, doctor. I mean, um, I, I know you are a busy man, you know, to get you in Kopi with Vance, it almost take two months, and I, I know how your schedule was because all the, the communication that we had, I know how hectic it can be. Uh, my hats off for doctors who are out there um, saving humans' life, uh, apart from the creator, <laughs> because, the, you know, after a creator, they always look at the doctor, doctor, please help, you know. Um, <laughs> so amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And I hats off to the nurses and also to your profession as a doctor. Thank you, Dr. Thank Arish. you, Vance. Thank you, and thank you. Every, have a good night, everybody. Thank you, Doctor. We will catch up very right. soon for real coffee, okay? Real coffee. By, 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 the way, by the way, do you drink coffee, right? I, I love coffee. I drink coffee only black. It's okay, Doctor. As long as Kopi with Vance, let's do it. All right. Okay, cool. All right, Doctor. We will catch up. We will stay tuned. All right. Thank you. All right. I'll, I'll Bye, sign Vance. you up right Bye. now. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. All right, folks. So that it was uh, Dr. Harish with us for the past. Let me see what how long was it? Fifty-three minutes. That's right. Um, we talk about 
cancers and we all can also talk about screenings we can also talk about smokings and so and so forth but um i think um when when it comes to the tip of vans i call it the copy vans tip um, i think it's very crucial that uh, the one thing that we need to always respect and be super kind and um you know nothing about curry flavors and all that but you got to take care of thing that you live in um we tend to keep our houses clean we tend to you know keep things around nicely but sometimes we don't tend to take care of the body that we live in because that's the only place that we live in so if there's any signs and symptoms if there's pain um you know yourself right and it's not only just a normal flu or cough or even a pain in your ankles i think it is better to get checked up all right um if the pain symptoms or signs and symptoms last for more than 12 or 48 hours i think it need to be addressed um not just to keeping it it for a period of time and it can lead to even more serious issues and that that's what exactly i give advices or tips to all my friends and families and clients so if there's an issue i think that there's been needed to dive into the root of the problem and solve it there itself before it manifests to even a bigger thing so take care of our body be healthy be fit and at all times be yourself all right so this is a, another segment with copy events and i'll be catching you again wednesday at 9 pm for another topic which is we have our speakers already lined up for another exciting topic that is going to come in um the month of september it's just purely about health Uh, we're going to bring in lots of more doctors and professionals like dr arish you know he came in um spend is valuable 47 minutes because that 47 minute he should be resting spending time with his family but you know um that's the kind of a doctor that i was saying right he doesn't even feel like going to work it's not even a work it is him right um so it's great passion to see you know how much you want to serve the community as a profession himself i think that's why i said earlier that nurses and doctors are the angels they are just covering all their the, the wings at the back of their coat you know if it's so that doesn't mean that you go and pull up the <laughs> the coat of a doctor and say where's your wings right um i'll catch you again that is next week wednesday for a different topic for right now copy with pants catch up <laughs>